0: We are we are going to get in. Um, as I've said before, if there's any confusion on this series and how how we're handling it on a Sunday morning, which quite honestly is a little tricky and not ideal for me, uh, I love to just preach through um, you know books of the Bible, texts and scripture immediately uh, right there and bring it straight from from God's table to to you guys. Uh, but I realized that I would never have the time to develop this sort of thing unless we started kind of doing this together, a little once-for-all kind of uh, deal on a Sunday morning. So if you are kind of curious about how to handle this or what what, what exactly we're doing on a Sunday morning, that little administrative introduction um, expl- explains my heart for you, whether you're already a member here, whether you're not ready to be a member, where you're a visitor, you're not even a believer. So I'd encourage you to uh, to check that out, and I'll be encouraging you. To look at that each week, um, With that, we're now in the third session, um, and I would entitle it "An Introduction to Mercy Hill Church." So the first two sessions were really just an introduction to church membership in general. Now we find ourselves uh, starting to move closer to home, starting to look at what does it mean to be a member of Mercy Hill Church in particular? Who is, what is Mercy Hill Church? Um, so with that, let me read the key text uh, for this morning. Pray and I'll get us in. The key text for the for the morning comes from uh, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Let's pray. What if that were true, Lord? What if this church became so radically Cross-centered. What if we decided to know nothing among one another here except for you and what you did for us in your life, death, and resurrection? What if that was the center of our gatherings, the center of our lives? It's all we wanted to talk about, all we wanted to sing about. All we wanted to learn about what kind of power would be unleashed in a community that centers itself on the cross like that. Jesus, I pray for the believers that you have brought here to this church. I ask God that you would give them a vision for your church that perhaps uh, gets higher, broader, and more glorious uh, than, than they've seen to this point. I pray that you would show us even this morning what it means that we're your bride, what it means that we're your family, your household, what it means that we're your ambassadors, I pray you'd show us, God, what it means that we're your church. Church membership, and this topic doesn't have to be boring. In fact, it can be riveting. In fact, it should be riveting. You're bringing us together into a new humanity. And the cross is at the center. We thank you for what you've done you're the reason we gather. God, would you please give us strength here this morning? Give me uh, the ability to speak on your behalf. Give us all ears to hear what your spirit would say to us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Um. So this morning, originally, I had in, in mind, uh, we would kind of discuss the mission and vision first, and then our values Second, and then third, our ministry strategy. Uh, but as I kind of went through the mission and vision, and uh, I realized I had already preached a sermon on that back in January, you know, I thought... Uh, I saw how long this was getting. I was like, no way. All right, I'm going to keep that material in there on the mission and vision, because uh, I kind of summed it up. I wanted some one-liners that uh, we could kind of remember what what that even was. I don't know if you even remember the mission and vision statements here. Uh, they're fundamental to the church, so I think an introduction to Mercy Hill should begin there, but... Because I had already preached a message on it, uh, I, I, I kind of summed it up for you there. And even that summary, I'm going to skip over here this morning. I encourage you to read it in your, on your own time um, and even to go revisit the sermon um, from, you know, eight, nine months ago. Um, but we're not going to be dealing with that here this morning. I will at least just read the two statements together for you. I I, I crafted them to kind of fit together, the mission being kind of the marching orders, the drumbeat that this church is marching to, the vision statement being where we're finally hoping to get when it's all said and done. So here's how we put it. Mercy Hill Church exists to adore, manifest, and proclaim the glory of God as revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the mission statement. Now, cue the vision statement. Until that glory fills the earth as the waters cover the sea. That vision statement just ripped straight out of Habakkuk 2.14 and really other places in the scripture. I think it's God's vision for the for, for the church and, and what we're uh, heading towards. And that is namely, that the world be turned to glory. That this whole place be just swallowed up. In, in his glory, and so we're doing that by what we call uh, gospel amplification, adore, manifest, proclaim, and we're moving towards what we call gospel reverberation. just fill this place with the praise of his name. That's it for the mission and vision statement. I want to move to our values. I want to move to our values. Now, I'm not sure uh, how Steve, perhaps uh, the previous pastor, defined these things for you guys. I do know that I inherited something that I naturally uh, wholeheartedly agreed with, and this distinction he would make in faith, community, and mission. Um, so I'm going to talk about those as our values here. But before I get to that, let me back up and show you where these values are coming from. Um I don't know if you remember how I opened the this series back in the first session. I said, hey, I'm here to introduce church membership, but wait a minute. What in the world is the church in the first place? we got to know what the church even is. And I defined it for us. I laid out some arguments for why I had this definition. I'm going to read this definition to you again here this morning because our values are going to flow out of this definition. Here's how I defined The church for us, the church is that blessed assembly that exists in the presence of God as the people of God with the purpose of God. Presence of God, people of God, purpose of God. And I made the case that that this definition of church uh, uh, actually spans all of of the uh, scriptural record. Meaning it starts all the way back in Genesis with Adam and Eve. We were created to be a people in his presence. Belonging to him and a people and also with his purpose moving out. And that Christ regains what Adam loses. And now we, the church, exist in his presence. We are his people and we have his purpose. We're we're moving out for him. So, one assembly... Three distinct aspects. Now, understanding that this is what God has created and redeemed us to be as the church, I thought, man... I want to make sure it's kind of settled in our DNA. It's a part of our of our uh, um part of our our, our lifeblood here to be pursuing that definition to pre- to be pursuing all that we were created to be as the church so, here's, here's kind of where I'm, where I'm going with this. I, I am essentially seeing these three aspects of presence, people, and purpose kind of flowing into, correlating with these three values. Of faith, relationship with Him, community, relationship as, as, as God's people, and mission, going out with His purpose. So, I want to make sure we as a church are valuing... What God created the church to value in the first place. What he wants us to be, I want us to become and to be moving, pressing towards. So faith, community, mission are what I would identify as our three kind of core values. I want to define these for you. You might even notice they're now in the bulletin uh, there. I want to, like I said, I want us to be thinking along these lines, because um, uh, I think this is what would kind of um, encompass a healthy church. But I want to define these for you very briefly, and then I'm going to relate them to one another. Uh, the future sessions, um, four, five, and six of this series, are going to deal with our faith our community, our mission in more detail. So I'm not interested in going too deep here. I just want to give you a a definition and help you understand where we're at. First, faith. If you want a one-liner for what faith is, it's knowing and loving the Lord. Knowing and loving the Lord. But if I could kind of flesh that out. We, the church, exist in the presence of God. We are the bride of Christ. There's one of the metaphors used of the church. We are the bride of Christ, which means we've been kind of created and redeemed for this intimate union with Him. It doesn't get more intimate as far as earthly metaphors, earthly analogies, earthly relationships than the husband and the bride. And that's why God looks at the church and says, Okay, you're the bride. You're with me. You're mine. So there's this aspect of faith. There's this value that we have in the church of faith. And this value presses our church upwards in love for him. Let me read you a text that I would consider a key text for this. 1 Corinthians eight six says this. For us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things. And for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Did you hear that? Is it beautiful? We have been created. I wonder if you, I mean, sometimes even as Christians, we go, kind of, what am I here for? What is the point of my life? Why do I exist? That's what this says. You exist for Him. You exist to know Him, to love Him, to be satisfied in Him, to worship Him, to obey Him, to find uh, find your joy there in His presence. So we value faith at this church. We once had been exiled, right? We once had been cast out from His presence because of our sin. But the cross... Like I prayed that we hope to keep at the center is how we get back as his bride in his presence as his church. We value faith in this church. Second core value, community, which if you want a one liner for that, knowing and loving the church. Knowing and loving the church. You've got faith, knowing and loving the Lord. Now, community, knowing and loving the church. We, the church, exist as the people of God. So when God, when, when, he doesn't just redeem us for himself, he actually redeems us into a community, into a people, which is why the Bible also uses metaphors for the church like family, Like we are children. We are brothers and sisters. We are family. We've been adopted in Christ. And we share the same Father. And we enjoy, you know, the same living room. We're all fighting for the same remote, (laughs) if you will. Let me read you Ephesians 2.19 for this. So then... You are no longer strangers and sojourners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. The context in Ephesians 2 there is so profound. If you know anything about biblical history and the conflict between Jews and Gentiles, because there was just this radical conflict between these people. And then, Paul shows up and says, guess what? When the cross reconciled you to God, it reconciled you to one another. You're in the same household, like it or not, get used to it. So this value moves our church inwards towards one another. We find that though we we were at one point kind of at enmity with one another, We'd harden our hearts to other people. We will be king. And if you want to be king too, then you're a threat to my reign. And so, you know, we're, we're against one another. Even as spouses against one another. Well, guess what? The gospel comes in. Jesus comes in and starts bringing peace, starts making peace where there once was war. So we value community at this church. Now, third mission, which if you want a one-liner for that, knowing and loving the world. Faith, knowing and loving the Lord. Community, knowing and loving the church. Mission, knowing and loving the world. We, the church, exist for the purpose of God. We are another Uh, analogy or metaphor that's used for the church we are the embassy of christ we we are kind of like representatives of a foreign nation the, the 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 nation of heaven we are citizens in heaven and yet we are here on this earth we are ambassadors for him we are salt and light in a world that's decaying in a world that's that's going dark We are moving out. So here's what you see. The church isn't just kind of, hey, we've got God and we've got one another. This is awesome. No, God's heart is always for the, the world, the globe. And so those that are brought into faith, relation with Him and, and community relation with one another are going to be pushing out as well. And let's, let's see how wide we can draw the circle in this place. We're not getting tighter. We want to move out. This value presses us outwards in love for the unbelieving. 2 Corinthians 5.20 We are ambassadors, Paul says, for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Guess what? When they get reconciled to God, they come into the family. When they come into the family, they join us in our mission. That's how it works. But we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. Let me tell you something. You were created to partner with God in turning the world to glory. Glory. That's why we were created. That's what Adam and Eve were to do. Move this garden sanctuary out. But we would rather, you know, go into business for ourselves than partner with the Creator. That's how, that's how this thing works. I want to control my day planner. I want to do this for my name. We started building towers of Babel instead of temples to God. That's where the story goes. That's how yours and my life went. We're still tempted towards it. But we were created, we were created, you guys, to partner with the Creator. Like, enter into this rush of, like, helping Him push back darkness. And, and, and now we're, we're, we're calling rebels to lay down their arms and, and find life. And He's asking us, I mean, God is making His appeal through us. Can you imagine the privilege? I don't know if you ever got to do, I never got to do this, I don't know if you ever got to do one of those, like, go with your daddy to work day kind of things. But I imagine that's awesome. You know, you're there with your dad, you're watching him do that. You're like, I don't belong in this business meeting right now. But here I am. You know, I got my Ninja Turtle lunch bag, and <laughs> what am I doing here? Well, that's how I feel when God has, has, has called us to partner with him in mission, you guys. That 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 purpose, that, that, that greater sense that we're after. Like, I, I know there's something more than just little old me and all the little stuff I care about. Well, this is it. God's calling you into his story. He's calling me into his story. And in Christ, he's bringing us back in and using us up. It's amazing. So we value mission in this church. Faith, community, and mission. Now, our values, while they can be distinguished, I just did distinguish them, they cannot be divided, you guys. They are distinct and yet inseparable. Um, the way that perhaps might help you, an image to put on this, so that you could kind of get what I'm where I'm going here, is to see these values almost as like a part of an ecosystem. You know, how an ecosystem works, right? I think, where you pull one thing out, if that thing goes, like everything goes off and the monkeys that used to eat that fruit or whatever it is now die and because the monkeys die the lions that eat the monkeys die and everything just kind of goes awry. I don't think lions eat monkeys, but you know what I mean. So, when 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 we as the church kind of abstract one of these values, like I like faith or I really like community. When we abstract one of them to the neglect of the others, here's what happens. The whole ecosystem falls. The whole ecosystem unravels. They are are inseparably united to one another. If you're going to have one truly, well, the other ones come with it. And if you only want one, well, guess what? You don't actually have it even. At least not as God intended it to be. Let me give you some examples. Um, And this is a little bit of a caricature, but some churches, um, you could say, make it all about faith. Okay, these are the churches that might have like the killer Bible studies or just like the, the seminary quality theologian pastor who's doing all this doctrinal stuff for you guys. Or it might be the church that's got like the, the killer worship, uh, where, you know, you go in and the music is just amazing and they do it for hours or whatever it is, but it's, it's this upward focus. We like that. That's amazing. But then it kind of like disconnects from the rest of their life like it doesn't affect community it like they have this good head knowledge or they have this warm fuzzy feeling when the band's playing but then there's not love it's kind of stale with community or the, and they're not moving out on mission They're just kind of staying in their little monastic kind of lifestyle like me and jesus something's wrong there something's Wrong there if faith doesn't propel them into community uh, or out onto mission. Other churches, uh, you could imagine, make it all about community, right? Here's the churches where you come in and like you're welcomed with like a cup of coffee at the door, smile, you know, and you feel great. There's support groups. There's, there's awesome stuff going on all week long. You know, when somebody posts on Facebook, everybody shows up to go to ice cream or whatever. It's like they have just a tight community, but... But you can imagine this going down, and I've seen this kind of happen. It becomes kind of all about that, like we found our people. We found what we're really after. This is great. We all get along, and I actually don't really want to go on mission, because then that guy's going to come in, and I don't really like him. It's going to mess up the cool vibe we have. You kind of like leave behind what it was all about in the first place. You can lose that. Or you, you might imagine the church that, uh, focuses on mission. This happened a lot actually when, when things started kind of moving, uh, towards some of the liberal theology back. I I don't remember when, but, um, churches started thinking, wait a minute, what, what are we doing in these four walls all the time? What are we like this institution? Like, what's the point of this, uh, it's actually kind of getting in the way of what I think the point of the gospel really is, which is we got to get out there. we got to start loving people. So these are the churches that are active in the community. These are the churches that like know the, the, the homeless by name. You know, it's amazing stuff. But somewhere along the way, stop kind of reading their Bibles somewhere along the way they kind of lose connection with worshiping with the with with the community of saints and the church kind of becomes this this um this program for social reform or this this philanthropy where we're going at an, and the gospel really is loving neighbor and and feeding them and clothing them but they've lost kind of the idea of redemption from sin and hell it become about mission, but they don't have the other components, and the ecosystem unravels. Faith is meant to flow into community. Community is meant to flow out onto mission. And when even one of these three values is distorted or disregarded, you no longer have the church as God designed it. Now, just for a moment... Um, Truthfully, I actually think that these three values are a good diagnostic grid for us to kind of even evaluate our own lives before the Lord. Look at ourselves and say, wait a minute, okay. Because I think what the church is called to be corporately, actually, uh, every member is kind of called to be personally as well, in a sense. And so we should be personally valuing, pressing towards faith, community, and mission, going up, going in, and going out. That should be happening in our life. That's what God desires us to be doing. And so we have to ask, man, hmm, how am I doing with that? I think we all have leanings. I think we all have ways that we kind of, I like that. And we need to be careful. We need to beware lest we kind of grab a hold of, of where we naturally lean to the neglect of the others. Now, I want to clarify, because this is actually important to me, um, I am not saying that the fact that some of us might lean more towards uh, developing faith, or developing community, or developing mission is necessarily a bad thing. I'm not saying that at all. I'm actually, I actually believe that that could be a part of how you discern like God's calling and gifting of you. Like it's the guys that are gifted to kind of develop community that recognize when community stinks, and it's the guys that that are 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 gifted uh, at at evangelism that recognize when a church is kind of stagnant and not going out. And so I'm not saying that those sort of leanings are bad. I'm just saying we need one another in the church to help balance each other out. It's a great thing uh, when we can all come together. Here's what I'll, I'll be honest with you. I mean, you could probably tell my personal leaning probably is towards the faith dimension. Towards studying God's word and knowing Him, and spending time in prayer, and, and 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 ministering the gospel to His people through preaching and other things. So I'm I'm prone to the faith. I lean there, and I think that's okay. It's a sign of God's calling and gifting on me. But I need people like you out there who are who kind of lean towards community or lean towards mission. Say, Nick, get out from behind the books and let's actually like hang out. Or Nick, like, we got to go, you know, talk to the unbelievers out there, whatever it is. You know, I, I, I rely on you guys to encourage me in the ways that God's made you. And hopefully, you find it a blessing the way that God has made me. Um, we need each other. We want a healthy ecosystem in this church. The church is that blessed assembly that exists in the presence of God, as the people of God, with the purpose of God. Therefore, Mercy Hill Church values faith, community, and mission. You with me so far? Okay. All right. All right now, our ministry strategy. I want to move into this. This is going to be where we spend the, the um, rest of our time. Again, I apologize if some of this doesn't seem immediately relevant to your life. I do my best, but I do want you to kind of see inside kind of the inner workings and get to know how I'm at least approaching Mercy Hill Church and and what your pastor's doing all week and, 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 I, and what I'm hoping that you kind of get on board with as well. So let me talk to you about um, our strategy. How are we going to get Gospel amplification going in this church. How are we going to develop faith, community, and mission? How are we going to grow this church? And I'm not just talking quantitatively, although I hope our influence grows in that way and we see conversions and people come to know Christ. Absolutely. But I'm also talking about qualitatively. How are we going to grow? What's the strategy? What you're going to do, Nick? What you going to do, church? you have answers for this? We've got to pray. We've got to think. We've got to come into God's Word and say, God, what do you have? How does a church grow? How, how How do your people develop faith, community, mission? How does this stuff happen? I'll give you my best attempt. A three-part kind of interlocking strategy. Kind of builds on one another here. First, I have a strategic focus. A strategic focus. I want us to have as a church a strategic focus. We are, if I could put it bluntly, a one-issue church. I want you to hear that. I want to be a one-issue church. Churches can be known for all sorts of things, right? Churches can be known for uh, the like the rock music quality of their worship band. Churches can be known for, uh, like the pastor is just hilarious. He's just a comedian. And we, he's so entertaining. We love to go. Churches can be known even for silly things like, like the giveaway pour over coffee uh, as you come in. And it just tastes like it drips straight down from heaven. And we, we're going to go for that. We love it. I'll tell you something. When I pray and when I think about what I want Mercy Hill Church to be known for, I want to be known. I want to be known as that church that just can't get over the cross. Like, they just can't get over it. Like, even visitors might come in and go, well, golly, they just talk about the same thing every week. I would consider that a major victory. I want to be known in this community. I want to be known among the other networks of churches. I want to be known beyond even uh, this city as a church that can't get over the cross. We just keep talking about it. We just keep singing about it. We just keep pressing into it. We want to. We want to look like it. We want to look to it. We want to tell others about it. We just can't get over it. I want to be a one-issue church because I think God is kind of a one-issue God. I want to focus us here because I think God is laser-focused throughout all the scriptures here. This isn't just Nick pulling something out of, out of his hat. I'm following the storyline of scripture here. Hear, hear me on this. Let me give you some reasons why I, I want to be a one-issue church centered in on the gospel. Do you remember Jesus' rebuke of the Jews in John 5, 39? They're talking about the scriptures and things, and he says this, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it is they that bear witness about me. Everything you're reading in the Old Testament It's all supposed to be pointing you to me. Every word God ever spoke going to the Son. Perhaps that's why he's called the Logos, the word in the flesh. He is God's word. Every word God ever spoke directed to him. And even more so focused in on what that son has come to do. Namely, live, die, rise again sinners now do you remember what Paul says is of first importance in first Corinthians 15 3 just gonna lay out evidence here for you saying I'm, I think I'm tracking with God's heart here first Corinthians fifteen three, Paul says hey listen this is of first importance and he's talking about back in verse 1 the gospel He goes on to say there in verse 3 that Christ died for sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Like all the scriptures were pointing to the death and resurrection of Jesus and therefore this is of first importance. This takes first place. There's just no question in Paul's mind. It's the gospel that has to be central in the church you lose that, and the whole thing, it's like, that's kind of the blazing center, the sun. If you take the sun out of the center of the solar system, every planet just flies off. Every ministry, who cares anymore what it's about? It's not about the right thing. We're not on it if we're not centered here. Or do you remember uh, when Paul, this is awesome, when Paul's leaving uh, the church in Ephesus, he's never going to see him again. He knows that. He knows what God has for him. He knows he's headed for chains. And and, and he's never going to see this church in Ephesus again. What is he going to leave him with? What's he going to leave him with, you guys? Hear me. This is uh, Acts 20, verse 32. And now, I commend you to God and to the word of his word. Grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Did you hear what he says? Alright, if I gotta leave you with one thing, here's what I'm gonna, here's what I'm gonna, uh, leave you with. Here's what I'm gonna commit to you. Here's what I'm gonna commend you to. The word of his grace. The gospel. Oh, Ephesians, I know you've heard it. I know you've heard the gospel. I was with you day and night. I was ministering all this time. He goes on to talk about all that. I, I, I was with you. I know you know the gospel, but I am telling you as I leave, if there is one thing that I hope you don't ever lose, it's the gospel. Because you don't just need to hear it once and get saved. You need to hear it again and again, because it's how you're sustained unto glory. Hearing what Jesus has done for a sinner like me, that he grabs a hold of my life, sets an anchor in my heart, and he's pulling me to glory. He will not lose me. That is how you make it through, you guys. I love the image he gives us. Did you catch that? Did you catch that? This word of his grace is actually a force. It's able to build you up. So here's what I'm seeing as I come to this church and I want to preach the gospel. I want to be a one-issue church. I see it almost as like I'm like I'm mixing up cement, I'm laying down bricks, and we are building this place up. That's what's happening as the gospel is being preached. As we tell me again. Calvary's victim, Calvary's victor. Tell me. Now, this is why Paul would say to the Corinthians, and what's the text I began with this morning? I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Nothing. I don't want to know anything else. If I go on rabbit trails, if I drift off, I've lost it. I've decided to know nothing among you but Jesus and Him crucified. You want to know why I began so this is why I began my first sermon series at this church on that text, because I wanted I wanted to be a one-issued church, and I wanted it to be the first note that I struck, and I hope by God's grace I'll be faithful to the end and it will be the last note that I strike. And it's about him. It's about the cross. It's about what he has done for us. I want my ministry to be a never-ending riff on this master theme. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, let me say something here in case you're wondering. I'm not saying that we're not going to talk about anything else. We're doing something kind of different right now. We're talking about membership. talking about this church and our values and things. So I'm not saying we're not going to talk about anything else. What I am saying is that everything else that we talk about, we're going to talk about it through a gospel lens. That the gospel may be our one issue. And I will hold to that. One issue, but this gospel has one million implications. Do you understand how this works? One gospel, one million implications. And this is, this is what we see when we read every epistle that, that, you know, Paul or Peter, these guys wrote. Especially Paul, he's so clear on it. He, he will begin and say, let's get the gospel right. I'll give you a couple chapters on what is the gospel? Okay, now. Let's start, let's start tracing out, let's start drawing out the implications. Now that we've centered ourselves on the cross, what does it mean to be the cross culture? Let's look at the implications now for your faith, your community, and your mission. What is that? What is the gospel? How does it relate to your, your relationship with God? Or with your spouse, or with your neighbor, or with the orphan and the widow, or with your finances, or with your tongue? Like it, the gospel has something to say about everything. And we center ourselves there and we go out from it in that light. Make sense. So my hope my hope as your pastor here is to center us in on that one issue and then just spend years, a lifetime, discovering with you the million implications that come out from it. I mean it's never it's never ending. Now, strategic rhythm. I just gave you my strategic focus, and I pray that it's yours as well, um, in your life. Let me give you now strategic rhythm. So, we um, have kind of the gospel as our strategic focus. Now, as our strategic rhythm, I'm talking about how we as a church gather and scatter. Scatter. That we gather together as believers around the cross, and then we scatter out into the world with the cross and the message of the cross. we gather and we scatter and, and and both sides of this dynamic of this rhythm are critical to our pursuit of faith, community, and mission at this point. let me just let me just go English major on you for a moment, okay I was an English major. I like to write. Uh, certain points in time, I'm like, I'm just going to read this. I'm not going to try to preach this. So let me read it. Yeah, I'm quoting myself. I'm sorry. (laughs) But it's going to, it's going to be better for you in the end because it'll go faster and hopefully it'll be clearer. I ramble if I'm not on it. So let me just read this and then I'll, 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 I'll explain a little bit more. I want to put an image on this rhythm for you. Help you get why I'm saying we gather and we scatter and how that's a part of, of our strategy to grow as a church in all these different dimensions. When I speak of our gathering and scattering, think of the ebbing and flowing of the ocean's tide. The water recedes out into the depths and then pushes back onto the land. But even as the water recedes, it leaves something of the depths on the shore. Shells, sand dollars, even sea creatures in some of the tide pools. My dad's side had a family reunion this past summer in a place called Fripp Island off the coast in South Carolina. At low tide, we would walk the beach looking for these sorts of things. If we got there too late, the best treasures would have already been taken by other tourists. But without fail, the tide would come back up from the depths with more shimmering treasure in its flow. Think about our strategic rhythm along these lines. We have gatherings, some larger, some smaller, scheduled throughout the week. Opportunities to move towards the breathtaking depths of God's glory with his people. But we don't stay out in the depths any more than the tide stays out at the sea. The tide returns. It comes back in towards land, towards the world. And when we move back in from the depths, we bring tokens of our time with us. Precious shells, as it were, that speak something to the world of the beauty and glory of our God. And we lay these shells out along the banks like a trail of crumbs leading back to their source in him. Our family members, friends, neighbors, co-workers see our faith, our hope, our love, our joy, our peace and they hear us speak of a world they've not yet seen but always longed for. They hear us speak of the love of God for sinners, of a redeemed and reconciled community, of a mission bigger than our day planners and board meetings. They hear us speak of the church gathered and perhaps... They'll be inclined to follow the crumbs, the shimmering shells, the sightings of glory back out to the sea. Perhaps they'll want to catch a glimpse for themselves. Perhaps they too will find themselves breathless before the vast expanse of God's glory and grace. Perhaps they too will come to know the love of God for them in Christ. Perhaps they too will start to bring shells up from the deep and lay them out for the world to see. Catching where I'm going with that. The gathering as it's kind of like us going out to sea and catching the depths of God's glory. The scattering as the tide kind of coming back out into the world and, and bringing with it some of that glory and leaving remnants and drawing more back. This sort of rhythm that we do as a church. Let me make plain here a couple of things. I am not, should be obvious now, I am not one of those that pins the gathered church like what we're doing here against the scattered church or the missional church or the church that's outside these doors. I'm not one of those that pins the two against one another. Some, some Christians think some churches even probably think that, okay, we just spend way too much time in our gatherings. And that might be true. That's a legitimate concern, but then they overreact. They overreact and they say, okay, forget the gatherings. Let's just get out in the world and let's do this thing. But here's what happens. When you leave the gatherings for, for the, the scattering, suddenly you kind of lose that glow, that shimmer that, that, that uh, comes when you, you're worshiping with God's people on a regular basis. You kind of lose the, the whole point of it all. And so I see both working together. We gather so that we can scatter with renewed energy and zeal. We scatter so that we can gather so that more and more people might come into the redeemed community. That's what heaven really is. It's like we're scattered as missionaries so that on that day we're all gathered around the throne. This is just a rhythm that God himself has established. But beyond this, and hear me, this is important to me. The gatherings, I think, are equally as missional as the scatterings. Here's what I mean: I think oftentimes uh, people can think the gatherings are where we do faith in community, but the the when we scatter, when we go out into the to the world or whatever, that's when we do our mission. That's when we're mission. And I actually don't think that the Bible allows us to make such a contrast or put in such a disparity. Instead, what we see, what we see is that the gathered church is in fact a compelling witness. It's a compelling testimony to the power and validity of the gospel. That the church is to be a redeemed humanity. It's actually supposed to showcase God's glory. It's supposed to be something that perhaps your tracks and your, your evangelistic efforts can't reach somebody, but them coming in and seeing the way the church worships, seeing the way the church loves, seeing the way the church you know has a greater purpose than itself, just being a part of this gathering might make them go, wow, there's something to this message that I hadn't seen before. Consider with me Acts two forty-two and through 47. I'm not going to read it. This is the early church. It's amazing. Because it's in the context of the gathered church, where they have this apostolic faith, and they have this radical community. They're selling everything and just doing life together. And it's in that context that we read they had favor. This is verse 47, with all the people. They had favor with all the unbelievers. Because the unbelievers were looking in and going, no way. What is going on? So they had favor with all the unbelievers and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So there's no kind of like, hey, this is where we do faith and community and that's where we do mission. No, this is part of the mission. When we have a strong faith and a deep self-sacrificial community, that is missional. People are going to go, that's not like the world. That's not like the world. How do I get into that? People are added to the Lord because of their faith in their community. Or you might think of Paul, 1 Corinthians 14.25. It's amazing. He actually imagines unbelievers coming into the church. He imagines unbelievers coming into the gathered church. And he says, listen, some of them, they're going to fall on their face, worship God, and declare that God is really among you. We want that in our church, right? For people to come in and, and see the gathered church and their worship, see them in their community, and go, no way, God is here. God is here. Or there's this really cool story in um, a book by, by John Bunyan, where he, he describes how before his conversion, um, he came upon a gathering of, of these poor Christian women. And he hears them talking about the things of God. He hears them talking about, you know, Jesus and other stuff. Here's what he says. This is how he records it. This was integral. Seeing this gathering was integral to his conversion. He says, I thought they spoke as if joy made them speak. They talked with such pleasantness of scriptural language and with such appearance of grace and all they said that they seemed to me as if they had found a new world. Like a world I want to be a part of. They found it. How do I get there? Do you want someone to come into our church and say that? That's why we gather and scatter. It's not either or here. It's both and. Now, finally, this is where we'll close. I have a strategic activity for us. The strategic focus, strategic rhythm, and now finally strategic activity. Namely, we pray, we preach, we prune, and we persist. Now, let me explain what I mean. So many are um, scrambling about. It seems these days in the church world, trying to figure out how do you grow the church in this kind of postmodern age and this, you know, this culture that we have. It's hard. What do you do? People trying to reinvent things and try the latest and greatest techniques. And I'll be honest, I'm tempted to do that. Because like, man, you, you, know, you, you want to fill the pews. You want to reach more people. You want to whatever it is. And you're tempted to kind of read those books or those blocks. But I'll tell you something. God cares more about church growth than I do than you do. And he hasn't left us uh, without a plan he hasn 't left us to kind of reinvent things every you know decade or so he's laid it out for us, I think quite clearly in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is concerned at a fundamental level with church growth in fact the 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 major thesis of the book is given in acts one eight when Jesus says, "Listen, you guys are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world in other words, in other words. You guys are going to help the church grow. It's going to to spread. It's going to grow. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be awesome. Now, the book of Acts isn't like a manual for church growth. I would never say that. Um, But I do think that it kind of lays out a dynamic that if if, if you look carefully, you see it with me. Um, It kind of is at play through the whole thing. And so I'm calling it here our strategic activity. I want to fall in line with kind of God's plan for growing His church. And I see it working out in four steps. I'll have to speed this up so I won't, I won't be preaching all this. Um, but give me, give me just one, a few more minutes of your time. I see it working out in four key steps that I put up there in the title. We pray. We preach. We prune. And we persist. Now, I'm going to give you one illustration from the book of Acts, although I think there are many. As the church is growing, the same dynamic continues to play out. But think with me here. We pray. We pray. Uh, Jesus tells them, listen, guys, you're going to spread this thing to the ends of the earth. But before he ascends... Ironically, interestingly, what does he say? However, don't go anywhere until the Spirit falls. You go back to Jerusalem and you wait for me. You wait for me. You don't go off and do this thing. You stop and you wait. And so what happens? What happens? Well, these guys, Jesus ascends and these guys are now in the room and it says that they're devoting themselves to prayer. They're there and they're devoting themselves one accord to prayer, prayer, prayer. That's what they're giving themselves to. That's where this whole church growth thing starts. In a very real sense, growing the church, whether in quality or quantity, is not in my or your job description. We can't do it. I guess why Paul says what he says in in uh, 1 Corinthians 3:6. I planted, Apollos watered, but God's the one who causes the growth. He who plants, he who waters, nothing. God is everything in this process. Therefore, therefore, how do you begin growing the church? More than just my, my preaching, more than my you know meeting with individuals and going and giving out tracts, is falling on my knees and saying, Lord of the harvest, God of this church, God who can cause the growth and the only one who could do it, please, would you do it here? I can't do this without you, Lord. It has to be you doing it. That's why that's really the first thing I did as your pastor was to implement a Sunday night prayer meeting because I am I feel that heavy. I can't do it. God, you've got to do it. Secondly, first we pray. Second, we preach. What happens as the disciples are there and they're praying? Well, the day of Pentecost comes. The spirit falls. And then what? We read that Peter opens up his mouth, he lifts up his voice, and he preaches to the people. He just goes for it with the gospel. Timid, fearful, scared Peter goes for it with the gospel. He preaches. And guess what? 3,000 are added. 3,000 dead in their sin come alive. And so at this church, I'm going to give all I have to the preaching of the word because I, I think that's where God says, "Listen, the word is how, how 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 things come to life. This is how the Lazaruses come out of the tomb. It's the word of God coming forth. That's how we're going to grow this thing, Nick. Don't 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 buy into the you know the advertising or the entertainment or the business models. Preach even if it's not popular in the modern world." It's how I'm going to call the dead to life. We pray, we preach. Third, we prune. We prune. Here's what you see as the 3,000 are added to the church. Well, now the church is huge. And they're like, well, shoot, what do we do? And there's like problems now among them in Acts 6 when you see it. They're like, oh, we're not getting fed. And oh, we're not getting the needs we have. So they start to prune this growth. They look for leaders. They look for gifts. They develop structures to keep this thing healthy and growing. Well, I'll tell you, that's essentially what I hope to do at this church. I, I, I pray to God. That as I preach, your hearts are stirred with affection for him and with a passion to do things for his name. And I see it as my job not to come with every vision the church ever needs and to press you into my model, but to actually help you flourish. I don't have all the plans. I have broad parameters. I have broad parameters and I want to stay there. There are times where God will put something on my heart and I'll lead us into that. Fine. But I want to give us the broad parameters of faith, community, mission and say, now guys, how are we going to do it? How are you going to be a part of it? What study do you want to lead? What event do you want to do to develop community? What kind of evangelistic efforts on your heart? Foster the Bay, okay. So horror Clinic, okay. Let's do this. So I exist, I think, here in this church, not to give you all the answers and force you into mold, but to help you flourish in the way that God has gifted you. And I think the gospel preached is the seed of the church, and as it takes root in your heart, it's going to bear fruit in your life, and we'll be there to prune. When that fruit comes, finally, finally, we persist. We persist. This fourfold kind of activity has actually meant a lot to me <laughs> over this last year. I can't tell you how often I've felt disoriented. Like, what do I do? How how do I grow? I'm kind of scared. I don't know what to do with the church. What, you know, what are you calling me to do? I feel like there's a thousand answers to that question. And I kept coming back. no. Here it is. Get on your knees. Open up your Bible and preach. Be ready to watch what God's doing and stay in the field, brother. Stay in the field. Don't lose heart. There's this awesome text. I think it's in Matthew six or Mark six. Talking about a farmer. I'm talking about a farmer who kind of goes out and he does his part. He does what he knows he, he can do. Scatter seed and like kind of put it in the ground and water it. And then he goes to sleep. He just goes to sleep. And then it says, he wakes up. He doesn't know how, but growth has come. And I just think that sometimes during those seasons, you're laboring, you're laboring. And I imagine the farmer's like, where the heck is this? Where's the where, where's the sprouts or where's the harvest or what's going on? And you just keep doing your thing. God will be faithful. We see this. I skipped kind of how this works out next, but you see this in the book of Acts. You see this. They persist because Acts six actually gives way to Acts seven, which is where Stephen is stoned. First martyr in the New Testament church. And you think this would be the end of the church. No way. No way. It actually propels them onward in mission. They persist, and it's that persecution that pushes them out beyond some of those boundaries that Jesus first mentioned. They're moving now, because of the persecution, into Judea and Samaria, and the gospel's going with them. So we persist, even though it's hard, we persist. We stick with it. I encourage you guys, look at these strategic, uh, the strategic kind of plans, this interlocking kind of thing that I've developed, and, and look at your own life. I don't think it's just for me, just for the church at large as a, as an institution. I think it's for us as individuals too. Just like the values. Is Christ the center? Is the cross the center? When you go to work? When you're hanging out with your spouse? Are you gathering with God's people? And are you going out looking to be missionaries and reaching others? Are, are are you praying and asking God to do things in your life? Are you getting into his word and, and trusting his word to bear fruit? Are you looking to, to be a part of the church and, and give your gifts as part of the pruning and the development? And are you trusting him through it all? Let's pray. God, Feel it more than ever. You alone can cause the growth. You alone can develop our hearts, develop our faith, develop our community, develop our mission. You alone can make us effective. And you gave your son to do it. You gave Jesus so that you could do it. You do it through us. We offer ourselves up to you, God. We offer this church up to you. We pray. Help us to be all that you created and redeemed us to be. Help us to grow in ways unimaginable. God, you can do the unimaginable. We're asking you for it. We worship you, Lord, for the cross. Come back to Calvary every day. It's in your name we pray. Amen.